before the game kicks off, let's ramp it up with college football overtime. Here's, here's, here's Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into college football overtime. Abe Gordon, we got a lot to talk about. My name is Garrett Chapman. Uh, his name is Abe Gordon, of course. We have conference championships that are through. We have Heisman Trophy finalists that have been made official. Uh, we know who's going to New York, to, uh, with one of which you are going to be accepting a Heisman Trophy. We have Transfer Portal Palooza. 537 players have entered their name into the transfer portal on Monday alone. And we have some of these movers and shakers that are, that are really going to influence the future of college football. And we are going to discuss a lot of that tonight, plus a little New Year's Six action is on the way as well. Before I do any of that, I got to welcome in my co-host, Abe Gordon. Abe, how you doing? No big time college football this Saturday, but we do have Army-Navy. Outside of that, how you doing? Yeah, we're, we're doing well, man. It, it seems like the news and the talk should be slowing down, uh, but we have got a, a a loaded podcast, plenty to talk about here. Uh, and sometimes the offseason is just as interesting as the season itself, and, and I think that might be where we're headed uh, considering what we've seen in the transfer portal, as you mentioned. Yeah, transfer portal has just taken off. It's been just an explosion of, of players, and, and honestly, we look at this, little group of players right here. The three of the four were transfers uh, as far as Heisman Trophy finalists are concerned. Uh, and actually, now that I mention it, let's just jump into that. Heisman Trophy uh, is coming up on Saturday. We're going to be seeing who's uh, the, the newest name. Uh, Caleb Williams, of course, won the award last year. He didn't get the invite, of course, after uh, USC struggled a little bit down the stretch. Not Caleb Williams, but USC. Uh, his group, I guess, or his, his, his bid lost a little bit of steam, but uh, one person who didn't lose steam is Jaden Daniels, who, uh, of course, he is the runaway favorite for the award right now, Abe. He had one of the most prolific seasons in college football history, especially in SEC history. 4,946 yards, 50 touchdowns. Only other player to throw for 3,500 yards and run for another 1,000, Johnny Menzel. He won the Heisman Trophy. One of only five players to account for 50-plus touchdowns in a season in the SEC. He joins Joe Burrow who had 63, which is just unbelievable. Tim Tebow had 55, Cam Newton had 51, and Bryce Young had 50. You know all those guys had in common? They won Heisman trophies. So I think Jaden Daniels is truthfully the, the runaway favorite for this. I mean, I think he won the award when he played Florida. You're, you're Florida Gators, man. That was a brutal game for Florida. It was a pretty great game for Jaden Daniels, who had 606 yards of offense by himself. I mean, we talked about, we talk about football teams having great days when they have 600 yards, much less a single player who had 600 yards of offense by himself. Jaden Daniels, that's the kind of season he's had. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. You almost wonder what his numbers would have been if his team wasn't so deficient uh, on the other side of the ball, if he didn't have to put up those sure. sorts of numbers. But oddly enough, to win games, he kind of had to go bananas every single week, and he did. Uh, and, and look, a big credit to uh, Thomas and Neighbors, uh, his top two receiving threats there. Uh, they're a large reason that he's headed to New York on Saturday night. And it was an incredible season. You, you talked about the stats, the numbers. Uh, you've seen him climbing up draft boards in, into a potential top 10 slot yeah. uh, based on what he did this season. And it kind of came out of nowhere. And we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the guys. And you mentioned a, a number of these quarterbacks have been transfers. But I don't think anyone saw this coming from him when he came over uh, from the Pac-12 into the SEC. And certainly he was good last year. Uh, he was effective last year. He was dangerous. 
Um, but but we didn't see this sort of uh, performance necessarily coming from him. And it's been an incredible repeat effort, even despite a couple of losses from the LSU team. I, I look, I think he's the most exciting player uh, that I saw on the field. I, I think um, certainly you question the talent around him. And, and you know, if he had, I, I think neighbors and Thomas are two of the best receiving, probably the best receiving duo in, in the country. And that certainly helps you throw out the stats that you had, but man, the big stage, uh, even in that Alabama game before he got knocked out, he was playing a he- heck of a yeah. game in that one. And who knows what happens if he doesn't lead due to injury. So, uh, look, you say he, you, you think maybe he won it, um, you know, against Florida with his performance. And that was yeah. a heck of a performance that he had. But I actually think it was a lot closer. I uh, know I do think he wins the Heisman come Saturday night. But uh, I think we were waiting until Friday and the Pac-12 championship game and how that played out before we decided who becomes two and three or, or potentially who I'll, I'll tell you what, man, if Bo Nix had won that game, uh, I, I think the voting for this gets very, very interesting. Um, but because Penix uh, took him out and uh, obviously we're talking about the whole team, Washington versus Oregon. Sure. But in, in this discussion, because Penix and Nix are both Heisman finalists, matters here, yeah. we're, we're going to talk about one versus the other. Um, it, Penix takes out Knicks and, and it clears the path for Daniels. Uh, and, and I don't think it'll be a runaway. Uh, I, I think people still pay respect to what, uh, has gone down the rest of the season for these other guys. Um, but I, I do think Jane Daniels wins it. And, and I do think that's probably the right call, um, with respect to what the other guys have done and how much their teams have won. Um, I don't think any of those guys had a season the way that Jane Daniels was. And it was kind of flipped, wasn't it? Right. Like Michael Penix came out 450 yards, five touchdowns. It seemed like every week for the first month of the season, he slowed down a little bit mm-hmm. right as Jane Daniels was heating up. Cause he started off a little bit slow, obviously did not have a good game in that opener uh, in the loss there at Florida state. Uh, but but you, know, you kind of buried him, maybe stopped paying attention then you started to see the numbers really rack up. Five more touchdowns, six yeah. more touchdowns, 200 yards rushing, 150 rushing, 300 pass. I mean, it, it just snowballed from there into week uh, week in and week out. He was having just big-time performances uh, that has got him not only to the stage on Saturday night for the Heisman, um, but in, in your opinion, my opinion, picking up that 25-pound trophy when all said and done. Yeah, and, and you say winning is important. Of course, winning is extremely important. Uh, they're nine and three this season. LSU is of course they're ranked in the top 15. That's going to help him at least a little bit. Um, but he would have the worst record for a Heisman trophy winner since RG three mm-hmm. won the award back in 2011. And one thing that is consistent, I actually pulled this up while we were talking, um, going back to 2014, since the formation of the college football playoff, the winner of the Heisman trophy has played in the college football playoff every year, except for two. Uh, one was last year with Caleb Williams, and the other one was Lamar Jackson in 2016. So very consistently, you see these guys who are playing at this level win. And like that's a super important aspect for this. And maybe that's just because voters see them the most, or and maybe it's just the fact that you have national television and that's just the way things are because the teams that are winning generally are put on the big screen, you know? So you see the best players on the best teams, and that's how most of these guys get their invites. And uh, look, Jaden Daniels is here because he's Superman. He was Superman for LSU all season. I thought that he's done pretty much everything in his power to will LSU here. And you talked about how his numbers improved. 
game by game as the season went along. And I think that's just more of just a factor of LSU realizing that if they're going to have any chance, it's coming on the legs or the arm of Jaden Daniels. And of course, like you said, Malik neighbors having him, I think is the, the favorite to win the Blitnikoff. Uh, having him on your team really does help. But look, at the end of the day, he led all quarterbacks nationally in passing touchdowns, which he tied with Bo Nix. Uh, pass yards per attempt, rush yards, rush average, total offense, uh, touchdowns responsible for. I mean, if you want a stats award, Jaden Daniels is your guy, you know? And I think at the end of the day, it's like RG3, like, like a lot of these dudes, like when guys are on not as winning teams, generally speaking, it's because there isn't a clear other dude. And I think this is sort of where Jaden Daniels has benefited from the fact that you have two guys in the Pac-12 who kind of like beat each other up, if you will. Bo Nix, of course, had one of the most efficient seasons in, in FBS history, really. 77% of his passes were completed, which is just an astounding number. I mean, it, it's not even like they were checkdowns either. He was throwing the ball down the field. He was just completing the ball at a very high clip, and he's the biggest reason why uh, – Oregon was really able to find a lot of success. And the same thing can be said about Michael Penix. I mean, those two good dudes are the the, the lifeblood of those programs who played for a Pac-12 title game. But of course, Michael Penix, I mean, he follows Kalen DeBoer, his offensive coordinator at Indiana, over to Washington. And, and those two just changed the entire trajectory of what Washington football was and could be. And of course, he is the only person of this Final Four that is playing in a college football playoff. So I know that that's probably going to weigh on the minds of some of these voters, at least a little bit. Um, so I think he's probably going to be your runner up. He was very much so the run the runaway favorite for much of the season. I, I think that sort of trended backwards, I think as the season went along and I think he got banged up a little bit, uh, but look, he's 23 and two as a starter. He's honestly the biggest reason why they were in a lot of these football games and won a lot of them by just a single score. It's just, Michael Penix willing them to victory. And I think that might be enough to get him into consideration to win the award. I don't think it's going to be enough though, because the stats for Jaden Daniels are just so mind numbingly good. Yeah. The the race for second is almost more interesting to me than who's finishing first. I, I do think this is Jaden Daniels by a comfortable margin. Yeah. I actually think Bo Nix had a, did have a shot to win it uh, until they lost to, to Washington in the Pac-12 title game. And obviously it depends when people turn in their votes and how early stuff like that. I, I will be very interested to see, and I do think the mindset is that Michael Penix will finish second. And obviously that would be based on people holding their vote until after the Pac-12 championship game. It's going to be very interesting to see, one, how those two Pac-12 West Coast quarterbacks are splitting votes. Um, I have no doubt in my mind, Bryce, uh, excuse me, Bryce, a uh, Bo Nix was running uh, either first or second until Friday night's loss. Um, did that loss jump Penix so far? And it's really not jumping Penix as it is taking away votes from Bo Nix. Did it drop him so far that he actually finishes third uh, in this vote? It's going to be very interesting to me to see it. And then look, you look at, at Penix and, and the return of Jalen McMillan, these last couple of games and what that did for the Washington offense. Mm -hmm. And, and he missed seven or eight games, however many it was. I don't, I don't think he played in October uh, uh, at all. And then came back in late or mid or late November. So maybe just six games, whatever the number was, uh, what would Penix's numbers have been if McMillan were there to run alongside of Dunze? Um, but an outstanding season by the team, uh, he got off to a crazy hot start. It's always going to be difficult to maintain 
like those like five touchdown, 450 yard yeah. performances. Um, you get more tape. People get an understanding what the, the team is doing on offense, plays you like to run, et cetera, et cetera. We saw that happen to Bo Nix a little bit as well. He had some of those numbers and that fell off. You relied on the run game uh, for Oregon a little bit, stuff like that. So it was always going to be difficult to maintain some of those numbers. But outstanding seasons had by both of those guys, Knicks and Penix. Um, and boy, I, I really don't know who's finishing second. Like, I don't have a great lean. Uh, to me, it was very clearly uh, Bo Nix until, uh, until Penix and Washington headed to Las Vegas and took him out for the second time this season. And, and now I really don't know who's finishing second. I feel pretty comfortable saying that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to finish uh, fourth out of the four who will be in attendance. Um, but your guess is as good as mine for second place. I, I do lean with what you had presented. I, I do lean with Michael Penix actually jumping Bo Nix uh, and finishing second, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was able to hold on uh, despite his second loss head to head. And Abe, I really, I, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but I don't know why Marvin Harrison Jr. was invited to this event. Yeah, I, I, really I, I understand why. And there's no shot of him winning it. And at that point, like, why are, why are you invite him? I, I get that. He's the best player in the country. And I know statistics are not necessarily sure. uh, the leading factor there. The same way we talked about Brock Bowers. Um, and look, Brock just simply missed too many games due to injury. Um, and, and you're dealing with votes and you're dealing with like, you have to get enough points and votes mm -hmm. to even get invited. He was fourth. The votes he's getting is because he's the best receiver in the country. Um, and outside of Jaden Daniels, no one really ran away from, uh, the field with, with other quarterbacking performances. I think they're right to have Knicks and Penix there, but I understand why Harrison's there. Uh, he he was until the end of the season when they finally finished uh, figured out their run game a large portion of just the entire offense. He was the uh, offense. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, it, I I think it's both like a kind of a dual because they do this sometimes. They did it with Stetson Bennett uh, a year ago to an extent. Uh, it is partially a, a career recognition um, that they invite you uh, or, or that people are voting for you in the first place. But also, you are the best player, uh, the best player on offense in the country. Um, chances are, and, and maybe look, if you were doing a fantasy draft, maybe you do take Jaden Daniels, but like you're, you're probably taking Marvin Harrison before you take Knicks or, or Penix. If you're doing a college fantasy draft huh. from scratch and, and, and there might be other quarterback, you know, how fantasy, we're not getting into that, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. He's not going to win it. Uh, I do think it is a, a best player at your position type of, of, uh, honor. Sure. And, and so. Uh, I, I think that's why they're bringing him along. I think that makes pretty good sense to me, truth truth be told. Um, I, I understand it. I mean, I think it's fine. I don't think anybody's necessarily. I just I'm don't understand why you feel you but, have to have four, though. Stetson wasn't winning it a year ago well, either. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. And, and I'm never going to complain about somebody getting an invite to, to New York. Sure, I think it's an not, incredible yeah. honor, and I think it's awesome. Uh, and it's college football. College football is there to be celebrated. And I think the, the more celebration that we can do around this sport is good. And don't take it. I don't want anybody out there to be taking that as me taking a shot at Marvin Harrison Jr. or anything either. I'm, I'm not. I fully understand how talented of a football player he is. I've said it on this podcast many, many times. Um, but look, I mean, the stats aren't really there. So he's an important person to, to what Ohio State wants to do. I mean, notably, he's the first Ohio State receiver to have back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons in school history, which is interesting to me given the amount of incredible players that have come out of that school. But um, – yeah, I mean, look, he's a great player, but 
you talk about how people might have submitted their votes a little too early. The last thing I want to say about this, uh, I want to go over some snubs of people who I think could have been invited. And I understand why this individual was not invited because of the way that he started this season. I mean, hell, he got benched. How many Heisman people, how many invitees to New York were benched at one point their season that they got invited? Not many. Jalen Milrow is the number one reason why Alabama is playing in a college football playoff. If you talk about the importance of a Heisman winner to a team, Jalen Milrow pretty much embodies what a Heisman Trophy winner is and should be, right? So uh, as far as if you're going to invite a fifth person, why wouldn't it be Jalen Milrow? Yeah, I, I understand what you're getting at and, and the trend of his season, certainly, but it, it was so down for so long early in the season. Um, and, and look, they're going in, in order of votes. It's not no, no, recently biased. And so um, I, I get what you're saying. And I know he kind of like, I'm assuming jokingly when they beat Auburn, uh, talked about the Heisman. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, he was, it's a situation where if he had played like that games eight through 12 slash 13, if you count the, if he played like that all season, he would be there. Um, and he would be in the discussion with Jaden mm -hmm. Daniels, but it, 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 look, you play the way you did your offense sputters the way it does. Um, and, and I understand why he's not there, but uh, he had a heck of a season. And, and he probably, Garrett, uh, and I haven't looked at numbers. I haven't looked at odds for 2024. He probably returns as the leading Heisman favorite uh, for 2024. I think that's a pretty fair assumption. So I think we're pretty much on the same page here. Uh, Jaden Daniels is likely your runaway favorite for the Heisman Trophy. Of course, that ceremony is taking place on Saturday. But before we get to a lot of our transfer portal news, uh, which, of course, we got to jump into, I do want to talk about something else that's happening on Saturday. It's one of my favorite traditions. It's one of your favorite traditions. It is the 124th edition of the Army-Navy game. It is consistently year in and year out. As far as pageantry and tradition go, it is the epitome of what college football is and should be. It is what college football should continue to strive to be every year. And I think it is something greater than college football itself. It's more important than who wins or who loses. It's the fact that it is one of the purest rivalries in college football. And it's because these young men have given their lives to the support of their country. And outside of the game itself, which both of these teams are, they're, they're good football. They're fine football teams. Like, like the teams are fine, but this weekend is something more. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, um, this game is different than any other game played the entire season. That's why it is a standalone game. Uh, it, it means more than just football uh, in terms of the on-field stuff, um, but it, it just feels different. If you, if for those who have been or or hope to go, um, the whole week is different. It doesn't feel. I, I know they ultimately do play football. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't play itself out like football. It's about a brotherhood. It's about camaraderie. Um, it's about respect, which if you understand college football and rivalries, how often are we talking about a rivalry built on respect, right? That doesn't happen in the Iron Bowl. It doesn't happen in clean old-fashioned hate or, or civil war or whatever rivalry you want to talk about. It sure ain't built on respect. It's built on the antithesis, right? It's built on hate and hatred and that's not what this is and 
it's always a good feeling to watch this game to see um the code uh both uh, of the players and the fans but you know all that stuff um and it just it's special that it's separate i don't ever want it to be played on a gay uh, on a day where it could get buried by other games um it needs to find a way to remain standalone it needs to find a way to continue to move to various locations uh even if it is mostly all northeastern um you know philly boston dc um wh- wherever in new york wherever it may be um i love the rotating location uh of this it's been in baltimore i believe as well so uh, and then the other thing is, and I know we don't necessarily have it this year, right? Both teams are five and six with some bowl eligibility uh, eligibility options uh, coming through. Uh, I love rooting for the big underdog in this game. It, it, it be because now, well, now this over, year the it's over, not a, that's that's the underdog in this game. The over is always the underdog. It's thirty two <laughs> and a half this year. Uh, Army's favored by two and a half. That's not like a big underdog. I love when you have long winning streaks or losing streaks that could come to an end. We've had that in, in the past couple of seasons mm-hmm. uh, when Army got their first win in in forever uh, a couple of years 14 ago. Years. And so, 14 years in a row. That's there's incredible. no shame in rooting uh, for the underdog. There's no shame if you're wrong about who wins this game. Um, it's just special. It, it's always been special, um, and, and it continues to be special. And it's not – and how many times do we say this? It's not about how good – the guys on the field are um, and it doesn't turn me off that they're not going to the NFL and I'm not watching something different than what I could see in a Mac game or a, you know, AAC, whatever. It, it just doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because uh, of the prestige and honor of these two schools and what it means, like you said, yes to the football season, but also uh, to the country in general, it, it is a special special moment and a special uh, atmosphere and a special game um, that I'm glad we get to enjoy uh, this coming Saturday. Yeah. So after Navy won 14 years in a row, Army won one, two, three, three years in a row. Then ever since that mark in 2019, it has been alternating ever since. And that's the way it should be, honestly. And it's the first year it's actually played in Boston, or in the state of Massachusetts. It's going up there to Foxborough. I was about to say Boston. It's not technically Boston, I guess, but it's in just outside of Boston in one of those suburbs up there in Foxborough, playing at Gillette Stadium. So it's the first time it's ever been played in the state of Massachusetts, and that should be really exciting. I, I Abe, I really look forward to the day that it leaves uh, the Northeast United States. I, I think this is a kind of game that needs to go to to. I would love to see it float, but if it's it going to stick to Northeast, yeah, I would to, love to see it float. Yeah. He needs to go head out to Arizona or Texas. I mean, could you imagine this game if in Texas? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be one of the most unbelievable games. Everything's bigger in Texas, so I feel like the Army-Navy game certainly would be no exception there. But, um, look, at the end of the day, this is a fun game, and and I know that – do you have a side that you're cheering for this year? I know you talked about it. Uh, I've never really – No, it's not – like I said, I always like to root for the underdog. It, it's just simply not a big enough spread that I, I, sure. I'm I I'm too – like, oh, look at them, you know, battle against – you know, it's just – so I'm just rooting to, to for a good, competitive, enjoyable game. Uh, and they've provided a lot of really quality finishes in the past couple of years, close games uh, in in the past couple of years. So so just give me, um, yeah, just give me something competitive in the fourth quarter and like surprise me 
with, with a, a throw down the field or something, you know, I'm, I'm here for it every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I think is really cool that they've started doing here in recent years is they have the, the, the uniforms come out, the uniforms mm-hmm. are updated and changed. And this year you have the, uh, the silent soldiers for the Naval Academy to, to honor or the silent guardians for, for the, the submarine division of, of the Naval Academy. But, the United States Army, of course, is rolling out its dog face soldiers uniform, and that represents the 3rd Infantry Division, which is actually one of the, the, the division that one of my good friends served in when he served in the military. So I guess I'm on Team Army this year for the first time. I'm actually going to have some, some some form of rooting interest in this game. So go Army, beat Navy, I guess. But Abe, let's move into the transfer portal because, of course, college football never sleeps. And... Now we got to talk about all of the movement. Like I said in the open, 537 players have submitted their name into the transfer portal on Monday alone. This, of course, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon. And since then, since like just the time that we've been on this podcast, recording this podcast, I have received probably about three more people who've had their names submitted into the transfer portal. It is a crazy time in our sport. And honestly, this is just, it's only going to get bigger. I think it's 18% larger this year than it was just this time last year. Um, I think that a lot of it helps because they've changed the the windows that surround the college football transfer portal. And I think that kind of makes life a little bit easier for everybody involved. And it makes it so that coaches can actually contain part of their roster and make some decisions based off of their roster management. And Abe, I do want to go through this real quick. I'm going to give you some, an opportunity to, to open up on, what do you think as far as the, the biggest movers or shakers in college football in terms of the transfer portal, whether that's team or players? But I do want to start with where we stand at the quarterback position because we talked about the Heisman Trophy finalists. Three of the four, all three of them, of the, the, the quarterback that play quarterback, are all three transfer quarterbacks. Bo Nix, of course, played at Auburn. That's where he started his career. Jaden Daniels started at Arizona State. Now he's at LSU. And, my, and Michael Penix started at Indiana. This year, we have, I think I listed off what we were preparing for the show. I have 11 different quarterbacks who are changing changing teams right now who I think could be legitimate movers at their new institutions. The, the first one, um, Brock Vandegrift. He's the person who actually made the decision this afternoon, uh, on Wednesday, I should say, Georgia to Kentucky, the former five-star quarterback, highly touted player in the 2021 class. I think he's going to fill an immediate need up there at Kentucky at the quarterback position after the underwhelming season from Devin Leary. Uh, Aiden Chillis, uh, Oregon State, he's going going over to Michigan State. So he's going to follow Jonathan Smith, his coach. Uh, he was the backup over there behind DJ Uyangalale, and now he's got a new institution, and he's going to be over at Michigan State. Those are the only two as of right now that I have with new institutions, with new schools. But we have a whole list of other players who could really make a big impact for their new schools. But Abe, I want to open this, open the door here for you. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, you got to approach it with a couple mindsets, and you, and you put these guys into. And I'm not playing saying you put the quarterbacks into tears, but you put their decisions into tears. And, and so it goes like this, right? Are they transferring because they want the opportunity to start immediately? Mm-hmm. Some of the guys have already been starting, would have been starting at the if they had stayed put. So some of the guys are into that role, like a Brock Vandergrift that you mentioned. He's moving on because he's starting immediately now, uh, sure. you would think. Um, and he was blocked at Georgia. Are they transferring because of NIL deals? And that's where you get into it with a lot of these quarterbacks. There are a lot of them are going to fall into, I know I'm good. 
They know I'm good. Let's see what I can get on a quote NIL open market. You also have the guys. I want to play for a title. I'm good. I know I'm good. They know I'm good. I'm not worried about the NIL money. If it's nice to get it, if I can get it, but I know where I'm at. I'm not playing for a title. So let's see where I can go play for a title. Uh, some guys are following, potentially following coaches uh, or have lost their coaches and are worried about the setup uh, if they were to have stayed there. Um, you've got that situation. And, and then the final one, which is uh, kind of the most obscure and maybe the toughest to, to detail, is I think this move is best for my NFL prospects. And, and now a lot of that will go in with, can I win a title? Can I play right away? You know, guys fall into more than just one category. But 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 that's the thing to me when I look at the names of quarterbacks that have entered the portal and I'm trying to figure out, all right, is this guy immediately looking for like one of five or six contenders? Is he more about this is the NIL spot that's giving me money? Is he about I know I could come here. I won't have to battle in the spring. This is where I'm starting. That That's what's most interesting to me is to, to see where these guys, and we'll have to play it out, right? Like, like you said, we've got a couple answers, but there's a lot more questions and answers about where these guys uh, are playing. And, and then the unfortunate side effect is some guys are not going to be taking upgrades. So some guys are going to be taking a step back into a smaller school situation. And look, I, I know Kentucky's not Georgia, but we're still talking about a starting job in the SEC. I'm not yep. looking at Brock Vandegrift as taking a step back. I'm looking at him as a guy that's in a major power conference with an opportunity to start immediately. I get it's not Georgia, but that's not the type of step back I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone transferring from a power five or soon to be power four school that has to go to, you know, a mountain West school um, or, or, or even smaller than that. And there's going to be guys are going to be going upwards. Guys are going to be going downwards as well. You look at a Kyle McCord. Like, what's the plan for him leaving Ohio State as the incumbent starter? And and I think he was going to be challenged for that role anyways. Uh, mm -hmm. But he's stepping away from Ohio State. Is this a spot where, I mean, how big of a – look, you're not stepping up from Ohio State. You're stepping down. Uh, the question is how big of a step down. Is it still relevant like a Kentucky would be for Brock Vandegrift, or is it even smaller than that? Um, and then, obviously, with him going out, that opens up a spot for Ryan Day. And uh, he, he's got to be, I, I would think, uh, of the of the quarterbacks that are in the portal. Um, I mean, how many how many boxes does that check off from what I listed, right? You're going to get NIL money. You're going to be able to potentially play for a championship. You're, yeah. you're probably going to get some shouts in regards to your NFL prospects. I mean, that seems to be the top job uh, to check off the most boxes. But you've also got guys that are going just because they're following their head coach. You've got guys that are going just because – of NIL money, uh, in which we know, you know, Texas A&M may be relevant there, um, a couple of other schools as well. So it's very interesting to see as it plays out who's going where and then kind of figure out why that was their ultimate decision. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of players who fit in a lot of these categories that you mentioned. Yeah. Tyler Van Dyke is one of those guys who I don't think is really going to get into a much better situation, but it right. does open up the window for somebody to move into the University of Miami, which I think yeah. is – a pretty great job just in general. But Tyler Van Dyke, of course, he struggled with turnovers and we'll see what he ends up doing. Um, but he had a pretty good season by most ACC standards. Uh, Aiden Schillis is somebody who I'm looking at specifically, a guy who I mentioned is already leaving Oregon State to go join up at Michigan State following his head coach, Jonathan Smith. I think he has potential to, he's one of, he's the highest rated quarterback in the portal right now. Uh, 
or at least he was while he was still active in the portal. Uh, but then you're looking at players like Dante Moore. Um, look, he was the, the jewel of the Bruins 2023 class, and now he'll be likely an immediate starter for someone. I think he's more of an NIL play. I think he's somebody who knows that he is a couple of seasons to really maximize his earning potential. And so that's what he's going to do. He's going to see what he can do with that. Cam Ward's somebody who I see as somebody trying to potentially go win a title. Maybe go win a potentially jump in and and make a big splash like a Jaden Daniels. He has that ability, 3,700 yards, 25 touchdowns, plus eight touchdowns on the ground. The dude's baller. I mean, he's the biggest reason why Washington State, Wazoo, was in contention at any point this season. They were a pretty good team. I mean, people might forget they jumped into the top 20 uh, and lived there for a little while over the course of the season, but the, the, just Wazoo just doesn't have the depth is of, of what many of the other programs in the Pac-12 had this year. I think he's a shoe in maybe for an Ohio State. He might go in there, be a one-year fix. Then all of a sudden you're looking at a very prolific quarterback coming back who fits that style of Ryan Day. But you talked about Kyle McCord, of course, the opening that was left over there at Ohio State. I don't think he takes a massive step back. He's from Pennsylvania, and he had a very interesting recruiting process. Penn State was in that final group. Allard is still over there, and I don't think Drew Allard is is going anywhere. Uh, I don't know if somebody was, if a guy like Kyle McCord would be enough to come in and really unseat him necessarily. But look, they're about to have a new offensive coordinator, so you don't know. I mean, we obviously don't know, and of course, we're still in the early stages of the transfer portal, so a lot of this stuff can change. But Dylan Gabriel, here's another one, the Oklahoma quarterback, had a very prolific season, likely the best of his of his career, thirty six hundred yards, thirty touchdowns. Could he follow his offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, who took the job at Mississippi State? Could he head down there? Maybe. He's a graduate transfer looking for the last year of his career, jumping into the SEC. Of course, he would stay with the SEC if he stayed at Oklahoma, but he maybe he wants to stay with his offensive coordinator. Riley Leonard is somebody who's worth considering. Notre Dame is on his list. He also, it's worth noting, has the do not contact label, which he's the only person who I've ever heard of having a label like that, which means... He pretty much knows what he wants and where he wants to go, which is likely Notre Dame. Uh, Will Howard is another really prolific player. He's probably the most seasoned player in the portal right now. He has 27 starts. He has the the, the big tw- uh, the the all time passing record for Kansas State, and he won the Big 12 last season. He had a kind of a down year this past year. Still threw for 2,600 yards, 24 touchdowns. Like this is a dude who could fit into that category of looking to be a one year starter. Maybe he wants to go win at a bigger program. Maybe he wants to capitalize on some name, image, and likeness funds because he knows that he doesn't have an NFL career ahead of him. Maybe he wants to go make a couple bucks here or there in name, image, and likeness. I think he has a very good chance of doing that. Um, but then you go down this list. I mean, this list is huge. Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Maybe he wants to, he, he lost his head coach. Maybe he just doesn't see the fit with the new coach. Maybe Levy told him to transfer. I mean, that, that kind of thing does happen. Deion Sanders did that very publicly last year but it's not an uncommon thing for a new head coach to do that. DJ Uyunglele, probably one of the most positive stories from the transfer portal last year, revived his career out there at Oregon State. But like I mentioned, Jonathan Smith is on the move. So he needs a new home. So he's in the portal right now. He might go to Oregon, (laughs) which feels dirty. But Oregon State quarterbacks go to play across across the street over at Oregon. Not the most crazy thing in the world. Uh, so look, that's just the quarterbacks who I found on in the last 30 minutes. And I'm sure we're going to get another number of players who jump in here in the next couple of days. It wouldn't surprise me at all because Abe, we have college decisions or or professional decisions of players who might be going pro. What if they don't, 
how much does that murky up the waters here? Once we see big time bowl performances, maybe somebody jumps in there and tries to capitalize on, on the way they played in their bowl game. Uh, I know that I, I mean, I covered the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and I know for a fact that there were a, a handful of players who are waiting to play in a bowl game before they go and transfer because they're, they have a loyalty to their team. There is a long window. This window extends up until the end of bowl season, right around like January 3rd or 4th or so. They just want their bowl gifts. They want the bowl gifts, man. I want the bowl gifts. Are you kidding? I would absolutely want those bowl gifts. But look, some of those guys just want the experience and they want to cap off a successful season with their teammates. And I mean, it's not like, look, at the end of the day, as long as people are seeing what this transfer portal is, which is just an opportunity for these young men to go capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. That's it. Like if somebody's willing to pay you money to go play college football somewhere else, go do it. Seriously. This is your opportunity to jump in and, and, and make some money off of yourself. And I, nobody should fault these young men for doing this. I mean, look at a, a Vandegrift. Vandegrift wasn't going to start the, the, this upcoming season at Georgia. He just wasn't. And you have a finite amount of time to, to really capitalize on what your college career can be and then potentially what your professional career can be. And all of this development that happens, most of it happens on the field. You got to play, you know, and at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not going to fault anybody for making what they believe the best decision is for them. And that's just quarterbacks though. Like this list continues to get bigger, bigger. London Humphreys is a Vanderbilt wide receiver. People are prognosticating Georgia. They think that he's just a supersized lad McConkie. That's what I read about him. He is, he's six, three with track star speed. He won a state championship in, uh, in the sprinting events in the state of Tennessee. Antoine Juice Wells, the guy has 2,700 yards in his first three years at South Carolina, 27 touchdowns in that span. He got hurt. Now he's entering the portal for his final year. Walter Nolan was a five-star player, the number two player in the class of 2022. He's in the portal. I mean, he's going to be a game changer for somebody. RJ Oban, he's a Duke player, edge rusher. He's going to go make a, 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 a fortune in the transfer portal. So I'm excited for these guys. I'm, I'm really pumped for them. This is great news for me. And it's also very exciting because that's more news that we have to cover, right, Abe? Yeah, it, it's just going to be very interesting to see. Uh, again, you've got you've got the teams we already know are going to be competing for a title. Who they lot to scoop up to try and solidify their team? Uh, who's left? Uh, again, who takes upgrades? Who takes downgrades? Sure. Uh, and, and who improves? And we obviously won't know the rest of it until they actually play the season out. But who made a decision that impacts their NFL future? And, and that's obviously a long term storyline of this but you talk about defensive linemen offensive linemen receivers running backs not just the quarterbacks here who are going to be impacted cornerbacks and safety I mean who makes a, a move that impacts their long-term NFL future I think that's what's super interesting to me look I, I'm not I don't know what Bo Nix is going to do in the NFL um, he had no he seemingly had no NFL future while at Auburn he goes to Oregon has two really really good back-to-back -back seasons and now he's in the discussion. Um, you, know, you know, I don't want to try and throw that onto every transfer quarterback, but Penix and Jaden Daniels, they may have had different NFL futures. Um, but, it, it, I mean, you see it work out for a lot of guys, uh, and you just wonder how many of them are going to benefit. Uh, again, NIL, yes, but also long-term prospects in, in, in their future careers uh, as well. And, and, again, that's not just on the quarterback front. That is – all over and look, Alabama hit the hit, hit the portal hard. Uh, Georgia's going to hit the portal hard and, and see who they can get. 
uh, to solidify aspects of their team they deem weak. And it's going to be very interesting to see um, the trickle-down effect of that. I think you've also got a situation, Garrett, where people transfer in, potentially quarterbacks transferring in, and guys currently on the roster uh, head out. And that's the other aspect of this. I know you mentioned waiting for bowls, but also waiting for incoming transfers to maybe help them make a decision one way or the other, too. It's, it's, it's very interesting, and honestly, it's going to keep us on our toes here over the next month or so um, while we're doing all this bowl coverage, which I know we talked about potentially jumping into this New Year's Six conversation. Abe, let's save that for Sunday because I think that's that makes for a lot of very interesting news that I, I really want to give it its own proper time here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. We still got plenty of time to go over all of that. And I think right now the transfer portal conversation is just very interesting because I'm looking at teams like Florida State. They're a team that, that added most of their big players. Jordan Travis, of course, was the key. to He was the, the engine of that offense. But then Keon Coleman, he's a transfer player. Johnny Wilson, that's a transfer player. Jaheim Bell, that's a transfer player. I mean, like that's, that's just the day and age of college football that we're in right now. And I mean – you can look across college football right now and see who are the biggest movers potentially in college football right now. I mean, look at, I'm looking at the Oregon ducks. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the Florida state Seminoles. I'm looking at uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks who I think could be an extremely interesting team here with the transfer portal, because of course you go out and add uh, a Bobby Petrino to the offense. And I think you add a guy like that and you're starting to trim some of that fat with KJ Jefferson, who's another quarterback who I didn't even have in my list who is in there, Raheem Sanders, Rocket Sanders, who, when healthy, is one of the best players in college football, not even just running backs. He had 1,500 yards rushing. Uh, but this year, of course, he dealt with a lot of injuries. And Bobby Petrino's first year over there at Arkansas since, well, first year since the, the incident that got him ousted as the head coach over there at Arkansas. But it makes for very interesting moves that could be on the horizon uh, the Louisville Cardinals, of course, their whole team has been fueled by transfer players and Jamari Thrash, J Jack Plummer, uh, namely. And, and, and look, look, Abe, I think it makes for very interesting coaching transitions in college football nowadays because it doesn't take you a couple of years to establish who you are talent wise. You like a lot of, of course, recruiting is still the lifeblood of the sport, but teams who attack in the portal, they find success pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And you're you're trying to, you know, when you're a new coach, you're coming into a program that's normally on a downslope. Uh, yeah. That's why the last coach got fired. More often than not, there are other situations, guy retires, or uh, it's a good program that he mm -hmm. takes another leap up and you can still be a good program. We've seen that before as well. But uh, it, it's certainly a way to fix a lot of the holes uh, that you have. It, At least cover them up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, not a, yeah, right, and uh, try and get up to par. I mean, look, if you don't have size on the line, you can get size on the line. You can teach them technique and and everything else they need after that. But you know, can't teach size. Uh, and same thing with the receiving core. If all you're looking for is speed, there's speed out there. If all yeah. you need is a big arm and you can deal with going through reads and progressions after that, then so be it. So there's a lot of ways to get what you need in the portal and then bring them in and teach them your methods, your system, your whatever. Uh, and I do think you see a lot of the new coaches heavily now, not quite as heavily as Dion did uh, in year one, but I, I do think you're going to see more and more new coaches hit that portal very, very hard as you've diagrammed. There's no doubt about that. I think it makes for very interesting moves here on the horizon. SMU is one who uh, I actually failed to mention. They're making the move over to the ACC. 
Abe, would you believe it if I told you they've had back-to-back top 15 portal classes over the last two years? Uh, now they're moving into the no, ACC. No, I, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't believe it, but since you said it, I'd take it as fact, I guess. <laughs> so they've had top 15 classes back-to-back years. I expect that to happen again. Uh, that's really big for them as they're moving into the ACC next season. So lots of big movers and shakers. We're going to discuss all of those here coming up in the coming weeks right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. But, uh, Abe, we got a lot to get into here next Monday. We're going to get into a lot of these New Year's Six games. We're going to dive into a lot of these other bowl games that we have up coming up on the horizon, plus more coaching vacancies. We've got transfer portal news, lots and lots of news right here covered on the College Football Overtime Podcast. But, Abe, that's it for us today. I'm really excited that everyone joined us. Make sure you jump down there and click that subscribe button. Make sure to like it. Drop a comment. Tell us what you think, and we'll get to it. All right. So uh, appreciate you for listening. We are College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. His name is Abe Gordon. We'll see you again right here on Monday. Thanks.